0: Hello, I'm Leslie Ann Knight, and welcome to Just Talking Musicals, the podcast and YouTube show where we discuss all things from Broadway and beyond. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook to join the conversation. Just Talking Musicals, Musicals, with you. Hello, I'm Leslie Ann Knight, and welcome to Just Talking Musicals. Coming up, we've got the second of this season's Look Behind the Scenes at an iconic Broadway musical, and this time it's Annie Get Your Gun from 1946. As the chimes of midnight heralded the dawn of another new year in January 1945, it must have been hard for many people to see any reason to celebrate. After the massive push of the D-Day landings in Europe the previous summer, the war for many was still grinding on, with the latest pathé and movie-tone newsreels providing a faint glimmer of hope that it just might all be over soon, with reports of the Allies steady progress through war-torn Europe. In January, in the United States, President Franklin D. Roosevelt was sworn in for an unprecedented fourth term as president having come to power in the midst of the great depression in nineteen thirty two bringing a promise of hope to the american people in his belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself his final term in office was tragically cut short when just three months after being re-elected he was struck down by a brain hemorrhage never to regain consciousness with this grueling war now entering its sixth year families were well versed in their daily routines of rationing blackouts and air raids they would catch the latest news on their wireless radio or from the latest Pathé and movie tone bulletins at the cinema reporting not just about the latest action from the front but also bringing morale-boosting stories ranging from the news of young Princess Elizabeth in London doing her bit for the war effort as she was put through her paces in training as a driver and mechanic in the ATS to the fabulously popular singing trio, the Andrews Sisters, who took the hit parade by storm with their song Rum and Coca-Cola, with its eternally upbeat catchy tune, making it the number one hit in America for the whole of 1945. Finally, on the 8th of May, the much-longed-for news of peace for our time became reality. In London, tens of thousands of people gathered in the streets, dancing and cheering in sheer relief as the King's radio address was transmitted via loudspeakers on the streets, announcing the end to hostilities. Meanwhile, across the Atlantic, the New York Times reported from offices and loft buildings, thousands who had heard it on the radio were pouring into the streets, and the crowds grew steadily larger until the police estimated that 500,000 were in the Times Square area. That night, Times Square lit up once more, and Broadway, the Great White Way, with all its thousands of lights, shone boldly out into the darkness once again. During the lean years of the 1930s and the decade-long Great Depression, Broadway had somehow kept its head above water with the unerring creativity of talents like Irving Berlin, Jerome Kern, Oscar Hammerstein II, Rodgers and Hart, Cole Porter and the Gershwins. The onset of war brought fresh challenges to these hitmakers and almost overnight light-hearted musical comedies with wartime themes began to appear, along with the arrival of an exclusive canteen for servicemen only in the basement of the 44th Street Theatre that became known as the stage door canteen. Broadway at war may have lost its bright lights but never its ability to entertain or innovate when even during its darkest days, a show like Oklahoma with its core values of hearth, home and the golden haze of nostalgia brought happiness and hope to anyone who was within earshot. Even amidst the gloom of wartime, Oklahoma had caused a sensation on Broadway when it first opened in 1943, making its creators Richard Rodgers and Oscar Hamstan II the toast of the town, whilst simultaneously saving its producers, the Theatre Guild, from almost certain bankruptcy. This huge success most definitely elevated Rodgers and Hammerstein into the upper echelons of Broadway's elite in the early 1940s, and along with the respect of their peers, they rather shrewdly set themselves up as music publishers and producers, as well as writers. As producers, they could now not only have more control over their own creativity, but also have the freedom to help other writers and add another string to their collective bow in terms of earning capacity. And one project that looked instantly appealing to the duo came from the brother and sister writing team, Herbert and Dorothy Fields. Dorothy had had the idea of writing a show based on the life of one of the most famous women in America at the turn of the century, none other than the sharpshooting phenomenon from Ohio, Annie Oakley. It was to be called Annie Get Your Gun, and she wanted her friend, the larger-than-life star of stage and screen, Ethel Merman, to take the leading role. According to Fields' biographer, Charlotte Greenspan, one story Dorothy told about how she found her inspiration for the show went like this. Sometimes an idea for a show drops down from God's hands into yours. In 1945, I was working at the Stage Door Canteen, and I met a charming lady who was the head of Traveller's Aid, and she was telling me a story of a young sergeant who had been to Coney Island and come in stoned with Koopi dolls and lamps and cigars and candy and across his tunic had had a row of Sharpshooter's medals. And when I heard Sharpshooter, the idea struck. Wouldn't it be marvelous to have Ethel Merman as Annie Oakley? Born Phoebe Ann Moses in Ohio in 1860, Annie Oakley, as she was later to become known, was one of seven children born into absolute poverty, made even harder when her father died of pneumonia, leaving her mother to fend for her young brood alone. When she was still only about 13 years old, she took her father's old hunting rifle out into the woods one day to try her hand at shooting wild game to help feed the family. And it was then that she discovered she had a natural flair with a gun. So natural that before long, she wasn't only providing food for her own family, but selling the proceeds of her hunting to local store owners, so that by the time she was just 15, she was able to pay off the $200 mortgage on the family home. Herbert and Dorothy Fields' story based itself on the true facts of Annie's life, meeting another sharpshooter, Frank Butler, and falling in love, meeting and becoming firm friends with Chief Sitting Bull of the Lakota tribe, touring America with Buffalo Bill's Wild West show, and performing to most of the crowned heads of Europe before returning to America a true heroine and unrivaled star of the show. Small wonder, then, that when Dorothy Fields first approached Oscar Hammerstein with her idea that he was so instantly taken by it, here was a story of endurance and hope from out amidst post-war uncertainty, and it must have also sparked fond childhood memories for him of the days when Buffalo Bill's Wild West show came to Brooklyn in the early 1900s, enthralling the young lad with all its pageantry and spectacle as the company paraded through the streets to Sheepshead Bay. Next step was to find a composer to work with the Fields team. With Rodgers and Hammerstein already busy with their latest score for their next musical Allegro, they came up with the perfect plan to lure the gifted composer Jerome Kern back from Hollywood to Broadway. Like many composers, Kern had gone west to Hollywood during the lean years of the Great Depression to write for the movies, but it had never been the satisfying career move he had perhaps hoped it would be. From his alliance with Kern way back in 1927 when they wrote Showboat together, Hammerstein now saw the chance to give his old friend a choice project on Broadway, and while he was at it, there was a planned revival of Showboat on Broadway that needed his attention too. So in early November, Jerome Kern and his wife Eva made the journey back to New York for talks about this new show about Annie Oakley, and auditions for a prestigious revival of Showboat. But tragedy struck just a few days after they'd arrived, when Kern collapsed from a massive stroke while he was out walking on Park Avenue. And he tragically died less than a week later at the age of 60, with his faithful friend, Oscar Hammerstein, sitting right by him. So, the libretto for this new musical was written. The leading lady was waiting in the wings. The investors had their checkbooks at the ready, but they had just tragically lost their composer. Both Rodgers and Hammerstein knew that even if they were free to start writing it themselves, their writing style didn't really fit the bill for this show. One after another, Rogers, Hammerstein and the Fields agreed that there was someone who could unquestionably hit the mark and his name was Irving Berlin. Right, that's it for this episode. Coming up, we'll be looking at how Irving Berlin approached writing the songs for this new musical that he wasn't too sure he should write and whether he could really capture the character of the sharp-shooting star of Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. I'm Leslie Ann Knight. You can find earlier episodes and actually see me talking on our Just Talking Musicals YouTube channel. And we'd love it if you subscribe and follow along with the conversation on social media as well. Just Talking Musicals, Musicals with you.